Hi everybody, welcome back to the PTC podcast. I'm here today with Amy Todd, who's an uh, old friend of mine from back in a different life, old uni student who now outranks me in the realm of the medical world, having taught her everything she knows, <laughs> at least about anatomy. Um, Amy, how welcome. Hello. Hello. How are you feeling? Good. I've just done a class at the PTC, so I'm good to go. How's your heart rate? A little bit on the higher side. Why? <laughs> Recovering from the class. Okay, very good. Um, so how would you introduce yourself for people listening? Uh, so I'm a physiotherapist and I'm the therapy lead at DISC, which is a sport injury clinic in JLT. Um, I'm also the program director and head coach at the UAE All-Stars cheerleading team. So how did you end up lead physio at DISC? Uh, at DISC JLT branch specifically. Um, so I've been working there for two and a half years now. Um, and yeah, I guess just over the course of a few years, things just uh, went that way. So we were together in uni, Amy fresh out of mom and dad's house. Correct. <laughs> and uh, I was the granddad of the group, boring, not wanting to go out ever. And uh, yeah, and then Amy got to 23 years old and finally understood what it was to actually not want to go out with 18 year olds. <laughs> it took me a while to be fair. <laughs> yeah, and then you did a master's in physio where? Correct, so I did my first degree with you at St. Mary's University, which was a BSc, so a bachelor's in sport rehabilitation. Um, from there, I had my last internship, which was at a football club called AFC Wimbledon back in the UK. Um, which I worked at for a few years. I went on to lead their um, academy medical department and then um, I decided to go back to uh, university and I went to Brunel University in London um, and studied a master's in physiotherapy. From there, I um, continued in football. So I worked at Fulham Football Club, uh, Crystal Palace Football Club and then on to Chelsea Football Club. Um, so I was at Chelsea for five years before coming to Dubai and um, I started off working with their um, men's academy, so their under 21s or under 23s, um, moved over to the women's academy and eventually the women's first team as well. So that was where I was just before Dubai, um, moved into working for the military in the UK and then was offered the job at DISC and that is what I relocated for and um, yeah, I've loved it ever since. Just happily ever after. Um, so why did you go back to do physio? Why did you, do, why did you decide to <coughs> go back into education and go and do the masters specifically in physio? Um, so sport rehabilitation is a, an excellent degree. Um, it really covers like the MSK part of physiotherapy. So it covers your back pain, your knee pain, your ankle pain, um, all of your musculoskeletal uh, sport injuries. But what it perhaps doesn't delve into quite enough is um, the more medical side of things in terms of cardiac issues, neurological issues, respiratory issues and things like that. So um, I was progressing really well in football, but because that degree was um, not quite um, established to be medical enough and um, they kind of stipulated that in order to be a first team physiotherapist or first to work in the first team you had to be a physiotherapist specifically and all that does is the physio degree really um, ticks all of the boxes of being a chartered physiotherapist which unfortunately sport rehabilitation 
uh, rehabilitation doesn't quite meet. Although actually, through all of my experience, it's very, very specific to what you do on the football pitch, sport rehabilitation rather than physio, because actually physio degree is very medical. You're working in hospitals, you're working with old people, you're working with people who have had cardiac arrest and stroke. I actually did a lot of work in um, intensive care and respiratory. Um, but of course, on the football pitch, you do need to be prepared for those um, unexpected events. So uh, a sudden cardiac arrest or um, some sort of respiratory arrest on the football pitch. So um, I was sort of pushed into that direction if I wanted to continue progressing into the first team. And when, so that was when you say they wanted, they stipulated you need to be a charter physio, they being the FA? Correct, yeah. Or they being the football club, but yeah. the, right at the top, the FA? Yeah, so if I wanted to work at clubs such as Chelsea or any of the kind of Premier League uh, clubs, um, you had to be a physiotherapist. Mm. Yeah, because everything you said there about the respiratory, the paediatrics as well, is that in that or is it a different um, level? Because I did a master's, it was two years instead of three years, so... Uh, I suppose women's health, paediatrics, um, there are a few smaller modules that perhaps weren't delved into as much in the masters, but if you do the bachelors, you'll um, do all of that to the full extent. Yeah, see that's the stuff that I had no interest in, so that was the, the, the ticket for me to, to not go down that road, despite also the fact that I was 26 with the, mm -hmm. the degree and I needed to get working. Yeah. Um, so you then you so you committed that to two more years in education to follow the pathway of football. Why did you leave football? Um, I did. I loved football. I did it for ten years, uh, all in all. Was so it ten years? Well, I, I started at St Mary's, obviously with their kind of oh yeah, um, the lads. Yeah, the, the sports teams there, and then so I started while I was doing sport rehabilitation, and then all the way through. Um, to 10 years later so parts of it were unqualified the most part of it was qualified as a sport rehabilitator and then as a physio so you can kind of count the years through um, I yeah I loved it it was obviously really really good fun I got to travel like um, Chelsea Football Club is amazing it's so well integrated that whether you're working for the academy um, parts of the first team or the men's first team or the women's first team, they're all on the same campus and they have um, an amazing medical team. So all of the medical team from all of the departments will meet. So you'll be sitting with you know, the, the men's first team uh, physios and the medical director and we will sit and go through every single player across the entire club. So you'll be talking about a 10 year old girl along with you know Eden Hazard and, and whoever else was in the first team back then. So. Really, really cool, so much opportunity, learned so much, um, absolutely loved it. But I think I kind of <laughs> hit 30 and was like, you know what, I want some days off by the pool and to just chill. So um, yeah, amazing job, but obviously as um, part of a medical team, you're really uh, highly demanded upon. So you might get to the off season, the coaches, the player, the players, everyone will have, you know, four weeks off. But on the last day of the season, someone will sustain a um, ACL rupture and the physios will be in every day throughout the off season, over Christmas and whatever. So um, obviously everyone often needs a physio, especially uh, in sports. So it just become a very demanding job. Sometimes I wouldn't have a day off in you know, 14 days, which was great for the 10 years that I did it. But 
after a while. Plus, COVID had a bit of a dampener on things. Um, obviously, things slowed down a little bit over COVID. Um, the women's first team were amazing. They were on for the treble. They won the league. They won um, the FA Cup and, and the Continental Cup. But we also had um, a Netflix documentary going along at the same time. Uh, but just before the league finished, which is obviously uh, May time, COVID came in in, what, March? And, you know, squashed everything, basically. So it was a, a real dampener. Um, and they were able to continue the FA Cup, but it was back in uh, the back end of the year. So, yeah, I think just around that point, I thought, you know, time to do something new. Um, and I wanted to just enjoy a new experience. And, uh, yeah, Dubai was on the horizon. They didn't finish the season. Um, they, if I remember, I think they kind of appointed the scores based on where they were at. It was a bit of a, an awkward and who won? end. Chelsea. So they did win the league, but they never got to complete the treble until things continued and they could actually play the FA Cup, which was, you know, well past oh, when so it was Oh, so they won the treble that year? They did, but it was like when, you know, Liverpool won, it was uh, the league, it was... You were at home. Yeah, no one could actually yeah. celebrate. It was all a bit, um, yeah, not the same. And uh, the Liver the Chelsea coach, that's is that the lady who's just taken that job in the states? Correct. The very yeah. famous. What's her name? Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes. I'm not. Quite, I haven't quite got my finger on the pulse of women's football this far away, but sort of tuned into some of it. And um, that's good for her. She's apparently yeah. very good. She is amazing. Was she there when you were there? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. She's been at Chelsea. I don't know, ever since they started, I believe. And now she's going to go to the States. She's just a, it's the Team USA head coach job, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So Chelsea obviously losing their finest females. You were obviously the first out the door, started the slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so you did a little bit of time at the military and then you came out here. Yeah. Why Dubai? Um, well... I had some good friends who are already out here, one of them sitting across uh, from me. So um, obviously when we were at university, we lived um, with our good friend uh, Jez and he sort of planted the seed uh, a long time ago. He grew up in Dubai and was always trying to get us to come out. Um, and I think, I can't remember how long you've been here, but obviously you came out. I visited quite a few times and then uh, it took me a little while to get to grips with it, but by the time we both moved out, our friend had moved back to the UK, yeah. so I don't think he was very happy with us. But here we are, we're both here now. And um, yeah, I mean, Dubai is just such a, a good option, right? It's not too far away from home. Um, I had, uh, I knew other colleagues, even from Chelsea actually, who had made the, the transition um, as a physio. I knew it was quite easy to get set up as a physio. Um, and. I love the sunshine. We were kind of debating between, say, Canada and Dubai, but the visas for Canada and things like that are very, very challenging. And um, yeah, Dubai was just a, a real easy uh, switch. And I was really, really lucky, actually. I, um, I went back to an agency that I worked at a long time ago, and I just said to them, look, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for a new opportunity. If you uh, know of anything in other countries, that's kind of what I would be looking for. And a pure coincidence he was like oh there's a job going in uh, Dubai would you like me to put you forward for it and then yeah it snowballed within I think I was offered the job within a, a couple of weeks so yeah I do remember it was very quick yeah and then you came out in whatever May of that year which is the worst time to come out yes but yeah welcome to the heat yeah so how did you get involved in the cheerleading then like the UAE cheerleading squad 
So um, I have a long background of cheerleading back in the UK. So I started uh, when I was around 10. Um, but back then, cheerleading wasn't very um, developed or progressed at that point. So I kind of lingered around um, the same kind of level for, I don't know, till I was about 20. I went traveling. Um, and then when I came back, I was like, oh, let's, let's try one more time. And um, Again, very lucky, I happened to live very close to the best program in the UK. Um, and I trialed for them and uh, quite quickly managed to get into their world championship team and got to represent um, England as part of uh, this program in 2016 and 2017. Um, so cheerleading became a really, really big um, part of my life. And this is not sideline cheer, this is competitive cheerleading, which is much more athletic than perhaps people um, have in their mind. It's not kind of like the Dallas Cowboys who sort of uh, do their professional dancing on the sideline. This is uh, the tumbling, the lifting, um, you know, and the, the highly skilled um, side of cheerleading, which perhaps we don't see as much of um, in the movies. So there, yeah, that's kind of where my passion uh, very much lied back in the UK. And then when I came to Dubai, I was like, oh, Dubai has everything, of course. They're going to have cheerleading. And I could see on Instagram that there was a UAE All-Stars um, team, uh, but I couldn't get in contact with anyone. And the team had dissolved over COVID. So um, I was very disappointed when I came to find out there was no cheerleading here. Um, but obviously I came right off the back end of uh, COVID and I managed to eventually get in touch with some of the old uh, guys that ran it and they had all left the country and got married and moved on and, and weren't interested in it, in it anymore. Um, but I was able to get hold of the WhatsApp group and um, it just built from there basically. So instead of cheerleading, I joined the gymnastics club. Um, at Aspire Gymnastics um, I just started working on my tumbling skills I met another girl that had a background of cheerleading and then we slowly kind of got a few people together and um, we went down to Umsakim Park and there were like four of us just doing some cheerleading skills and then you know they bring a friend next one brings a friend before we know it we kind of had to bring it into more of a team and then we are now I think yeah, a year and a half later, and um, we, we have a, a fully-fledged team now. We have uh, around 25 um, athletes. We have males, we have females, predominantly females this year, but last year we had a lot more males. So you can have either a co-ed team, which is male and female, or uh, an all-girl team, which is female, but we're open to kind of catering for everyone. Um, we have our adult team, we have our youth team, uh, which is seven ages seven and up. We're really keen to open like a, 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 even, a even younger group. So from uh, five to seven, if we have enough uh, people attending. And we've actually just opened a team in Russell Kamar now um, at one of the, the uh, community studios there. Um, and we are beginning to develop within the schools. So super exciting. We're, we're looking to start having after school clubs. Um, we have workshops uh, in schools. We have people coming over from America um, who are you know, very, very well known, um, highly skilled uh, coaches and choreographers um, who can put on some really cool uh, demonstrations for the schools and things like that. So it's um, snowballed. There is no cheerleading at all in the Middle East because um, perhaps people's idea of 
cheerleading with the, the dance elements and things like that maybe don't always adhere to the cultures here and um, but we're really um keen to show that our sport can be you know enjoyed by everyone all over the world i think there's around 118 um countries that attend the chilean world championships but as of now we have an invitation to come as the, the uae but no one has ever represented within the middle east so we are um, yeah, very pleased to be able to offer it now to uh, everyone. And um, we really look forward to eventually developing um, uniform and kit that really adheres to all you know, cultures. Um, we have the links um, and contacts through America, this, all over the world really, um, an ability to be able to change the, the score sheet to really adhere to every uh, country's cultural limitations and things like that. So we're really, really desperate to um, get more locals involved, get more um, of everyone involved in the Middle East and put forward a Middle Eastern version of cheerleading. Uh, you have the American version, the Canadian version, European and Asia uh, Asian version. But as of yet, we don't quite have the Middle Eastern version. So that's what we're uh, really keen to push. So... All right, a bunch of stuff there. That's very impressive. Uh, let's go. So I want to talk about what the difference between the cultures are, firstly, but after this. But firstly, let's <coughs> explain, if you can, so what does a competition look like? So, like, you've got your teams. What are they doing? What's a team do? What do you, what, what's your training? Generally, what's your training like? Because um, you talked about tumbling, acrobatics, and gymnastic stuff. But, mm -hmm. like, if I'm sitting in the crowd, what am I seeing? Yeah. So it's... Um, I suppose it follows a similar um, similar system to, say, gymnastics, more like the floor element. So um, we have like a, a nine panel mat. Uh, we'll have 25 to 32 athletes on the mat at one time and we will perform our very best routine. So a routine will be around two and a half minutes long and um, it will comprise of um, predominantly stunting. So you'll have um, perhaps three or four people on the bottom lifting one person up in the air. We can throw them, we can release them, they can twist, they can flip, um, lots of different um, skills based on different levels. So you have level one through to level seven, um, and it's based on a, a, criteria, a scoring criteria. Certain things um, are illegal in certain levels because they're too advanced for a level one as opposed to a level five. Certain so things like certain stones, certain moves. Yeah, so you, you're not allowed to do a free flip. You have to hold on to one hand in one level, whereas another level you can just throw them and they can do a back somersault. So you're so basically throwing somebody up in the air. Correct. And you're catching them. Yes, yeah. So that's kind of the, probably the largest element of uh, the routine. Um, so you'll have um, say five different sections within the routine one of them will be a pyramid so you'll have like not the classic pyramid that we kind of think of like five people on hands and knees you know all on top of each other it's more you know holding in the hands holding up above your head up to maybe five stunt groups attached flipping around and things like that so that's kind of the stunting element you'll have um you have tumble and non-tumble divisions we don't call it gymnastics as such we call it tumble but of course it follows uh, gymnastics um, skills so you've got your back handsprings front handsprings round offs whatever it is you'll have uh, lots of different um, combinations of those um, we also have like a jump section um, and we have a small motion section so um, similar to elements of dance but 
we kind of have a slightly different version here, which is more just motion-based, um, which similar, basically. No pom-poms. No pom-poms. So, um, How many times a week do you say that? <laughs> Only when I'm around. And we also <laughs> don't shout out different letters you either. Don't Give me a K. The, you don't cheer for the quarterbacks. <laughs> we do not. So we don't... Uh, there, there are two, two elements of cheerleading. You have sideline cheer, which of course has its place. You know, we, we do um, enjoy supporting different runs and different events here um, to a degree, but that's not our main focus at all unfortunately in the middle east because it's not developed yet uh, we don't have cheerleading uh, leagues we don't have uh, local competitions to go to so, so how does, yeah how does it work in the uk you have that you have yeah. leagues and local competitions tons so so every week there's something to go to uh, every, month, every like? couple of months yeah. you'll have uh, lots of Oh, well, yeah, so many because it depends what region you're in, whether you're in, you know, obviously with the UK, if you're um, up north, if it's down south, wherever, there's lots of different local leagues. Then you have the national championships. So you have the big ones in Nottingham and Bournemouth and things like that, where everyone comes along. Um, the So when I went to the world championships, um, we had to get a bid from the national championships. So the top, I think... Um, five teams that so you had to win the national championship to get the bid so you had to okay. win your local one then the regional one um i think the local ones are kind of like the warm-ups and then you can all you know just right. uh, go to the national one but only maybe the top three from each division will get a bid to the world championships right so what does a bid mean and that they will give you a partial paid bid or a fully paid bid to go and represent england oh the cheerleading organization yes. will help financially correct oh cool yeah um, so then the world championships, you have the all-star rounds and you have the, uh, kind of national rounds. So you have like literally team England, which is the national team, team USA, whatever will go to the n national round. Ours was the all-star round. So all of the teams that got the bid in England go through to day one. And then every, in, this is in America and Florida in Disneyland, actually in ESPN. Um, so the top five teams in England will compete against each other. There might be more than five, sorry, say the top ten. And then the five will go around, uh, go through to day two. So you go all the way to America to compete against the English teams? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then you get through to day two. And then I think, I can't remember if it's th uh, three or five that then go through um, to the world's round. And then you're competing against everyone in the world. And then... Um, I think you then get through to day three. It was a little while ago since I did it, so it might have changed. Yeah. Um, and then you get into the final round, which is against everyone. So there's, is there two parallel competitions? There's the country Team England. Yep. And then there's the clubs. like yep. the, the, the all-star round. So how do they pick Team England? Do the best from the clubs go and play for Team England? So you or have... Do, what do you call um, it? Cheer for Team England? Trials, again. So everyone uh. all across England will come to one camp um, and trial for Team England. So if you're good enough... You you leave your team and you go for Team England. No, you do. You still do your all you do both. teams, and then they'll have like a, a camp every weekend, a month, where yeah. you do your Team England. Very cool. So then, uh, taking that back to here, what's the difference in the cultures that you're trying to you're trying to mitigate? Yeah. So I guess um, we're just really trying to empower women here and everyone really to just get involved in activity for a start i think um we we do sort of struggle to attract the locals i think because 
obviously no one here has ever done cheerleading they don't know what to expect they don't know uh, what it involves they may not feel confident we've had people that come and obviously there's other people in the team who actually most people have started from nothing and are now very you know much better at it but by the time that beginner comes they perhaps feel a little bit intimidated because they may not have a background of doing lots of sport in schools and they may just not feel so confident about it um, I think we're very um, able to cater to kind of the cultural limitations in terms of clothing and what to wear and things like that but I think people perhaps maybe are a bit nervous about that um, and that's what we really just want to we almost want the feedback from the locals so that we can do everything mm. we need to cater for them. So what's the what's the uniform looking like in the competitions that are currently established? So at the moment, our uniform is uh, leggings uh, with a skirt on top and a t-shirt. Okay, but if anyone feels uncomfortable wearing anything, then we you know we want to adapt. Um, as needed um, <clears throat> we have links with different uniform companies that are you know really keen to make a Middle Eastern version specifically whatever that may look like so as soon as we have locals in the team they you know we can literally um, design the uniform exactly how they would want it um, so yeah I suppose most um, I suppose maybe more of the European um, countries America Canada they tend to wear a skirt, but that skirt will always have, you know, shorts underneath. Um, you have a lot more um, teams going into shorts now, so they'll wear shorts. Actually, in Asia, um, they have a unisex um, kit, so the boys and the girls wear exactly the same thing, which is really, really cool. So um, it's completely adapted to, you know, um, the countries. They used to have um, kind of uh, more like a crop top and, and uh, shorts or skirts, but at the World Championships, and that's no longer allowed, and uh, stomachs will always be covered. Okay, cool. So then, let's say you have the full selection of uniforms mm -hmm. created and made and ready to go, and people can get whatever. Is there any other, like, uh, you, you mentioned something about the scoring system. Mm -hmm. Is there a scoring system related to that that you're trying to change? There is. So um, I think elements of dance are a little bit borderline in this culture. Some people... Um, some cultures aren't happy to do the dance element and that's okay um, we don't have to have a dance element um, within it and our style of dance is very kind of um, strong athletic um, and more like motion I would call it um, so but you could even just do an Arabic style dance couldn't you yeah exactly yeah. like like an actual 100%. bring it bring it full circle and go look we're going to do the movement but it's going to be more Arabic orientated. 100%. And that's why we're, you know, so keen to move into that direction. Unfortunately, most of the team are expats at the moment. Um, so we are, we do have a, a local involved um, and hopefully she'll come down and uh, start bringing some more of her friends and people will feel more comfortable coming because, um, yeah, well, I, I just can't emphasize it enough. We are here to be the Middle Eastern version, but we just need to kind of learn exactly what that is and adapt uh, to the Middle Eastern way. So we would love to feedback to, to move it into that direction um, and if uh, dance elements are um, not something that we want to be part of the score sheet we have the ability because we have the contacts within the the world cheerleading federations that we can actually have a um, all-girl section that is you know doesn't include dance we we want to uh, include the Middle Eastern way now I forgot there is a aspect of some of, some of those teams do have men who lift and hold and support and catch the girls, eh? Correct. Yeah. So again, it's um, 
down to feedback. We've had locals um, who are happy to come and be in a stunt group with uh, the guys. And if not, then they can be in the all girl um, stunt group. Um, and equally, if they just do not want to participate in um, exercise and activity with males within the environment, then we have the ability to have an all girl squad. And at the moment, our um, team is all girl. Mm. Oh, so no need for <laughs> me to volunteer. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So then, when is when do, do you hope to have a team in a position to be traveling to the World Championships in Florida? So we, I already feel we have the potential within our team. We have um, some really really good talent. We are ready to compete um, internationally. Um, however, the limitations are more around. Um, having a federation an association and having the backing i suppose from uh, the sports council and the um government to an extent uh, to be able to um represent internationally as cheerleading within the uae so and that's our biggest limitation at the moment um, however we are in contact with uh, the sports council and we have been told that in order to build our federation and association we need three locals within the team so we have now got one um, local on board but we do still need two more in order to be able to set up the federation association and um, which we are confident we're going to be able to do um, this year and we would like to attend uh, the first ever uh, representation of the UAE at the Cheerleading World Championships uh, next year, so That's 2025. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, so it's only really a thing that you, you said you're a year and a half old. So mm -hmm. it's almost just like, look, you haven't just got around to that stage yet. Mm -hmm. It's not, you, are you finding any barriers or any, any massive uh, like pushback or any issues getting all those signed up? Not not especially. Um, it's also worth noting that the more athletes we have, the more um, tailored the, the teams will become. It's not like we have just one team. We can have a co-ed team. We can have a um, all-girl team. And they can all be different levels. So some people may feel a bit intimidating, thinking, oh, my God, I'm not ready to go to the, the Julian World Championships, but I want to come in as a beginner. And then they could be part of the level one team. And then we can have a level two team, three team, four team, and the World Championships is ideally five to six. Okay, so... Um, five to six teams in the World Championships? No, five to six, level five to oh, six. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, no, we, we've had really, really uh, a big influx um, this year of athletes. Um, I think just Dubai in itself is um, a little more, bit more of a transient con uh, country. You know, people are kind of coming here, leaving. Uh, we've got a lot of people who are perhaps school teachers who are uh, coming here for term time, but then going home for um, the holidays, um, which is totally fine. We've, we've now adapted our practices so that they're only during term time. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, so far so good. And yeah. um, if it wasn't for the Federation Association, we would have uh, competed internationally this year. Yeah, well, it's just about getting through the to-do list, isn't it? Correct, yeah. Getting your stuff in order, because as much as it's easy to get a visa and stuff here, when you're doing the setup side, there's just, there's just a tick box of to-do list you need to get through setting up anything here, so. Correct, yeah. I think obviously a big limitation will always be funding um obviously it's expensive to go abroad um and especially if we have to um yeah fly when normally you'd be able to do like a local competition so um 
obviously we have lots of different nationalities, uh, different visa processes can have limitations and not. So we have those ty types of limitations, but eventually, you know, we hope to get some more sponsors back in from the government to be able to give everyone, you know, an equal opportunity to be able to enjoy cheer um, as well. Where's the nearest competition, like geographically? Um, Asia? You have Asia, um, Europe, but um, actually, again, we have um, we have the buy-in from the states. We have lots of people really keen to to push things here, and um, so we'd even like to set up uh, a local, mm. uh, uh, the first local competition yeah, yeah. here in the UAE. Invite people over. Invite people over. Um, actually, we have so many school teams now. We have started doing um, the first ever. Um, schools cheerleading competitions. We have our next one in January. Um, well, so in a couple of weeks, actually. Um, and then there'll be another one um, towards the end of the school year. So school cheer is, is really starting to boom and we're starting to get those competitions in the calendar. Um, as of the moment, we are the only adult cheerleading team. So we don't have anyone to compete against mm. at the moment, but um, I believe there are more forming. And uh, how many schools are there in the competition? Um, I think initially we, I think we have about nine, really? nine or ten. And who's, are you judging that? Who's going to do the judging? I'll be judging it, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And who's doing the coaching? Uh, all, all our fabulous school teachers. Oh, so um, your adult team are also out coaching? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So m most of our, a lot of our team are school teachers and they have uh, their own school teams. Oh, that's cool. And are they, would they have longer how much experience do I have in cheerleading? Um, I think it completely varies. Um, I uh, uh, most of them are going to have a few years of experience back in uh, you know their home countries as well. But um, honestly, I mean, it's just about having a, a you know a passion for it. It's not hard to learn. You know, especially if you're just starting off with the level one skills. All of our athletes can perform level one skills now, so it's just a case of sharing it with the kids and. Remember, stunting doesn't have to be the biggest element. It's, you know, uh, the other tumbling elements, the jumping elements, the motion elements. Um, and most importantly, the biggest part that everyone enjoys about cheer is the, the teamwork, the camaraderie that you have, working together towards a common goal. Um, and it's just so great when you start achieving those skills together. And that's what I think everyone enjoys the most. Yeah, because it's actually harder than you imagine. Like, cause as you know, and as a few people know, because we've joked about it, like I helped you out in uni you did. with uh, whatever event that was. And I didn't go to many practices because it was such short notice. Yeah. But in the practices, you have to throw people in the air. Yeah. And then you have to catch them. Yeah. So there's four people on the ground and the fifth person is about to be launched. Mm -hmm. And if you get, if somebody pushes a little bit earlier, fat, too, too much strength involved person doesn't go straight up and <laughs> comes back down they go off at an angle yes which means they're coming down at the angle so everyone has to move correct which is obviously a problem when you're incredibly taller than the rest <laughs> of the people involved in the little group that's why you go to the back though yeah tall persons at the back as long as you've got you know the the correct coaching you know you're never gonna um yeah there's risks with everything, yeah. you know. There's risks when you go let your kids play rugby. There's risks when, when you, whatever, get on a mountain bike. But it's just, it's not, it's, even what you're looking at, it's not as easy as what you see yes. because there's a, you're responsible to catch that person. So that person's shot off to the right. <laughs> the whole group has to go. The landing is not, a, is not 
going to be perfect now. So someone's getting an elbow to the head on the way down. The girl who the girl who's landing is going to be caught. Yeah, yeah. It's the people on the ground who get an elbow and a knee on the ear and then I've stood on your toe as we're shuttling across <laughs> and you, you've tripped me <laughs> on. <laughs> That's why it's all about experience. And in a stunt group, you have, um, you should have at least three other people in the team that know what they're doing, right? So even if you have been sort of chucked in at the last moment, you should be able to rely on the other three yeah. people knowing to pull the right uh, shape, to keep their elbows in, to catch. Um, so actually, even if you trip over your own feet and fall on the floor, yeah. Just three still more be, to catch uh, yeah, safe with the other guys. It's more about the dodgy elbow you get. Yeah. On the t- but I mean, look, playing rugby, you come home bashed and bruised. It also kind of gives you a little bit of a, you know, a reminder that, you know, let's, to do stuff, you have to risk a little bit of uh, ouchies here and there. Yeah. Do you get many, uh, do you get many people through your physio realm? Like, do they talk to you about it and do you recruit people that way? Um, trying to think back. Probably not, actually. Um, I'm trying to think if anyone has transitioned over. Um, Yeah, probably not so much. I think most people that have come to uh, cheer have probably had some sort of um, experience in cheer before, but um, I'm working on my uh, people coming through, though. (laughs) So what kind of patients are you seeing in the the clinic? Like, who's who's your bread and butter? Yeah, so I see... You're a bit of a runner as well, which is something that we can talk about if you want. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I tend to see... Um, so with my background in football, obviously, well not obviously, but most injuries in football are going to be lower limbs, so your hips, your knees, your ankles, uh, a bit of backs here and there, a few necks here and there, uh, not too many shoulders unless you're a goalkeeper. Um, so most of my experience is uh, predominantly lower limb um, and very much my specialty will be return to place. So um, I don't tend to see too many of the desk injuries, the necks and the backs. Of course, there are plenty of those uh, that do still come through. Um, but more specifically, my experience is, is uh, more towards um, athletes, uh, particularly runners, gymnasts, because that tends to be my um, uh, where my experience lies as well. Um, and yeah, just mainly return to play probably most specifically needs um, working in women's football. Unfortunately, there is a very high injury rate um, of ACL ruptures. Um, and this can be very well related to different phases of menstrual cycles and um, different uh, differences between men and women, uh, effectively. Um, so I do tend to work with a lot of uh, ACL ruptures, uh, men and women, as well as your uh, hamstring strains, calf strains, uh, ankle sprains, and all of that stuff. Um, so what, what's the deal with, why is there more ACL tears in women's football? Um, so there are lots of physiological, hormonal differences between men and women. Um, men and, uh, sorry, women, we know that their hips tend to be wider, so they're going to have a bigger cue angle at the knee, lots of different um, changes there, which can lead to uh, different pressures on the, the knees that men perhaps don't have. Um, but yeah, the biggest changes that we see are through different phases of the menstrual cycle. So um, at different points, particularly the uh, phase four, so the week before you come on your period, um, obviously women's bodies are preparing for um, childbirth, things like that. So um, our ligaments tend to become more lax, um, our neuromuscular control drops off um, and can unfortunately leave us a little bit more susceptible to ligamentous injuries. 
And has that factored into women's football practices and training? Yeah, very much. So again, um, a big uh, highlight or bonus of Chelsea was that they were the first women's football team to um, consider uh, menstrual cycles. So um, every morning, every single player would have to complete a form that tells us how well they slept, what their mood's like, uh, along with um, any menstrual cycle symptoms that they have. Um, and we would literally track day in day out where they are in their menstrual cycle so if they are in phase one as opposed to phase two as opposed to phase three some people are a little bit more sensitive and may have so phase four is just before yep phase one is when you're on your period yeah uh, and then you kind of go some people don't necessarily notice phase two and three and and then four is the one where you feel a bit sluggish and a bit off so two and three is the middle weeks yeah Exactly. and that yeah. so what can happen then just full training full yeah so it's really hard because different people will have different symptoms in different phases so um you're gonna be ovulating more around that middle part some people don't even follow phases because they got endometriosis or they're on different um contraceptives things like that so it is very challenging and and some people even with a normal menstrual cycle just do not you know, they, they have a 40-day mm. cycle as opposed to a 30-day cycle. So um, it really is like um, not a cookie-cutter um, thing at all. Um, some people feel great on phase four. Some people feel awful on phase four. Um, phase one is meant to be our strong phase. So day one of your menstrual cycle is kind of our, our go phase. But some people feel really, really rubbish on that day. So you really have to tailor it to the individual. Um, we unfortunately had um, an athlete who I think had three ACL ruptures. And um, during certain parts of her uh, menstrual cycle, she was a bit older. And she's like, no, during this time, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. So what kind of thing would she not do? Just like the high intensity stuff or would she sit out completely? Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe she will won't push quite as hard uh, at different points of the cycle where the rest of the team would. Um, maybe she would need to spend longer with the um, movement coaches beforehand to really, really work on her neuromuscular control at certain points because we know it's going to be lacking Um there um other people totally unfazed by it don't want to know about it just crack on you know it really really does uh, depend on the person i mean that's difficult if you've got a cup final in the middle yeah. of that schedule exactly and, and there are there really are instances where maybe not a world cup final but well p perhaps so some uh, some athletes will just be like look unfortunately it has fallen at this point and i don't want to you know they wouldn't play them because their risk of injury may just be too high or they're just way too sluggish and, and yeah. they just uh, they can't perform unfortunately but with all of this specificity now you can really um work to improve your symptoms we had uh we were very fortunate to have a menstrual cycle specialist and nutritionist that will really help with anti-inflammatory diets um, and lots of different recovery techniques so that you can really be on top of your menstrual cycle and um yeah, emphasize your um, gains at different times. It's not that a, a, we shouldn't feel like, oh, I'm in this part of my cycle now, so I'm rubbish, I can't do anything. Actually, that might be the part of the cycle where you're going to be really good at endurance. And yeah. actually, we want to push endurance, whereas this is now our strong phase. And now this is the time to hit the weights hard. So um, I'll just throw in there that there is a really interesting app um, called Fit R Woman. So F I T the letter R, woman. Um, for anyone that does want to follow their menstrual cycle, they can 
track it in there and it gives some really really cool tips what to eat at particular times um during this part this is what's going on in your physiology because honestly i had no clue until a couple of years back um and this is the type of exercise that you can do to maximize your progress at this point that's cool that's very cool um because i know it's not it's not a thing that's commonly discussed especially as a male trainer obviously training females half the time if not probably more um it's not a conversation I have very frequently. Sometimes I have it with a couple of clients, but it's the same client, you know, she's very open about it. She's like, look, yeah. this, this is the situation. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm not doing today. Okay, let's let's move through it and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and do, what's, what we'll do as, as much as we can. Um, but I know, I don't know about other people. There's a lot of females trainers that we've never ever spoken about at once. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know what conversations happen with the girls here, so. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things back in Chelsea, we kind of just tried to normalize it as much as possible because 100% as a girl talking to a guy initially, like, oh God, I don't want to talk about that. Um, but actually even with our, our youth, um, uh, female youth players, which is so important because especially for the youth because um, we have all sorts of problems where they are training too hard and they're just not eating enough and they're gonna have a misbalance of their nutrition and not fueling enough uh, for the exercise that they're putting their bodies through. You have something called the, the female athlete triad. You can end up, um, lots and lots of athletes will have amenorrhea, which is where your periods stop. Um, if your body is not in well balanced, the first system to shut off, not forever, but in that moment is your reproductive system. And we have lots of 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds who are having no periods at all. Um, and that so what's the triad? female athlete triad yeah so what are the um so um it's to do with kind of your energy and your bone mineral density and your fueling basically and um we actually do have um some adolescents that end up with um stress fractures because their bones aren't actually strong enough because of this female athlete triad um so yeah, we had to really try to normalize it because yes, we do have a lot of male coaches within the academies um, and just just try to normalize it as much as possible that, you know, menstrual cycles aren't a big deal and we should all be able to talk about it freely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure amongst the girls, they'll talk about it. But when you're looking at a 49-year-old ex-Chelsea international player who's male, yeah, so it's maybe not something you're too happy with just saying um but yeah okay that's cool so um how do you prepare your training for your because you're a big runner how do you do you factor that into your training like do you back off and push and and relax and or do you just um not hugely um i don't personally find like a massive difference um either way um, I have been looking a lot into the intermittent fasting for females and how um, actually intermittent fasting is very different for men uh, as opposed to women. Um, and it's really, really interesting that actually um, women have to eat within certain windows in order to feed the progesterone within uh, your body in order to ovulate and uh, be able to have menstrual cycles. So I've been looking a little bit into that, um, but otherwise... Um, no, I, I, I just train at, at, to feel. If I'm feeling good, I'll train. But uh, for me, it's not too much of an issue. Um, the biggest thing I say to all of my patients, and I follow myself, the biggest way to prevent ourselves from getting injured is we really have to make sure that we balance w- all the variables of training. So 
we all like the sport we all like the strength we all like the cardio and um nine times out of ten that there's two i'll tell you about the two reasons why people tend to come in to see me and the first one is people just don't have the right balance so yes we go into the strength we go into the cardio we go into the sport but we're really not interested in the the mobility the the tension release the foam rolling and so with my uh, two marathon training blocks that i've done and i'm so uh, worried about getting injured and um, that I really really have just as much emphasis on my recovery as I do as my push and I think most people nine times out of ten will really just be focusing on the push the 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 strength uh, the breakdown activities and they're just not um, balancing it enough with the the rejuvenation the mobility the yoga the foam rolling the epsom salt baths the things that uh, build our body back up and get us ready to push again so within my training i will have my sort of four breakdown sessions my runs my strength whatever they are and by breakdown i mean obviously as we know in the gym we um break our muscles down with small micro tears so that they build back bigger and stronger um, so that's kind of your running, your, your strength, uh, whatever it is. But the days in between, I'm going to have my low level activity, my Pilates, my yoga, my foam rolling and really, really focus on the recovery to enable myself to push again. However, most of my clients uh, will break down on a Monday and then again on a Tuesday and then again on a Wednesday um, you know, and aren't able to replenish their body ready for the next push. And every time uh, we work out, every time we run, every time we do sports, our muscles are gonna get stronger but tighter, stronger but tighter, stronger but tighter. And most of us aren't addressing the tension with the, the uh, foam, roll, foam rolling, uh, uh, addressing the mobility. I personally really, really uh, encourage yoga. It's gonna move your body through its full range of motion whilst building strength at the end ranges of your joints, which in my opinion is, is much better than uh, static stretching. And um, so I really encourage everyone to keep in those, um, those yoga, that Pilates, the low level um, foundational strength and stability so that when we go into the gym, we're able to build muscle on top of a, a strong and stable framework. So the two are not giving the recovery enough time, what was the other one? So oh, the second one, um, is periodization so making sure that you build yourself up gradually okay so the number one thing make sure you balance all your variables um, I like to look at four quadrants you've got your cardio your strength but don't forget the mobility and uh, the tension release if you think about an elastic band we're going to stretch it through yoga but as it we let go it's going to bring back to the same coils the foam roller and the ball release is going to help to get out the coils um, and I also say um, if you think about it, if you don't continue the mobility, we do ourselves a bit of a disservice in the gym because you're only ever going to build strength within the available limit. And if that limit is getting smaller, you're only you're not going to be able to build the strength through end ranges of motion. So that's my number one tip. Um, and the second one is periodization. So especially in January, most people will come back with new goals and enthusiasm and I want to do this. And then they're going to go into paddle six days a week or I don't know, Barry's boot camp and sprint six days uh, in a row. Um, and this is how we tend to get injured. Unfortunately, the body really likes to be um, loaded annoyingly slowly and progressively. Um, and I would always encourage people to um, even in week one, let's just do one session. Week two, maybe we do Monday, Friday. Week three, 
and build in a session each week. Obviously, if it's strength related, um, as long as you're uh, changing up your body parts. So one session's an upper body, one session's a lower body, you know, then we can uh, periodize that way. Um, but that would be my, my biggest thing is to make sure it's a gradual load while making sure that you're balancing it with enough rest, recovery and recuperation. Very good. So what are you training for now? You've done the marathon. How did uh -huh. that go? Um, yes, it went very well. Thank yeah. you. Um, so I just recently ran the Dubai Marathon. Um, it was going very, very well. Uh, this is my second marathon. I was super happy with um, my splits. Um, everything was going amazingly, actually. Um, I was well on for my sub four target, which I've been working towards. Um, as I was coming up to the end, so the 40K mark, I got a little bit excited and sort of ran as fast as possible. Um, and unfortunately, the sun just was not for me. And I uh, had a bit of a, a dehydration moment. So um, as of, I think it was around uh, 700 meters before the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bit of a blackout moment, so unfortunately I wasn't able to um, finish the race. And that being said, my body felt amazing. Um, I had uh, fractured and dislocated my toe back in July, unfortunately kicking the corner of uh, my gym at work. Um, so I've been recovering from that. Um, I did nearly throw my own training uh, variables out at the beginning of the year after my first marathon. Uh, which is a common mistake for everyone. I think once you've done a marathon, you're on such a high, you want to keep up the mileage. Um, but because I was very busy with cheerleading, I wasn't quite doing the, the shorter runs that I know I should have done. We can still get it wrong ourselves. And I nearly gave myself, or I did give myself a bit of ITB syndrome. So I was managing that um, too. So as of August, uh, I had my four-month training block. The training block went really, really well. Um, I felt amazing for the run. I had no knee pain, no foot pain, no back pain. I found that when I did London, actually what I suffered from the most was my back pain. And um, from then, I've really learned to keep up my Pilates every week to keep my back strong enough. Um, and as I did the Dubai Marathon, my body felt amazing, back, legs, but unfortunately, dehydration got the better of me. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, when I ran the London Marathon, I noticed that actually my back was my weakness. Um, obviously, I'd spent so long working on my legs and, and my stamina and things like that. Um, but actually, my back was what was giving out and was uh, really giving me discomfort. Um, so I learned from the London Marathon, um, I'll always keep a block of Pilates in my week. Pilates, yoga to keep that foundational and um, baseline strength and stability and mobility. Um, so as of Dubai, I felt really, really good. My back was great. Uh, my knees, my ankles, my body felt amazing. I had no cramping, uh, but unfortunately it was dehydration that, that got me this time. So um, you learn something new every race. And this time it was about trying to balance the fluids. Um, but for me, it was just, it was... Uh, yeah, it was hard. Obviously, it's not that hot in England. <laughs> I'm not used to running from 7 in the morning to 11 in the morning in the Dubai heat. Um, and a lot of my training block had obviously been at the cooler times in Dubai. So I'd been training in the evenings and the mornings. So while I was taking on fluids during the race, um, I was taking on electrolytes. That push at the end, I think... Um, 
obviously it wasn't balanced enough and uh, that would be my next learning curve, get the dehydration right. Yeah. So yeah, you can try your second marathon again in the future, <laughs> whenever you whenever you're ready. All right. So where can uh, people follow you? Get in touch with you if they want to hear more about your amazing physiotherapy stuff. Um. So my Instagram account is Amy A M Y underscore physiotherapy underscore D X B. Um. And if you'd like to follow the cheerleading account, mm. it's U A E underscore All Stars underscore cheerleading. Um. Anybody can join. Yes, we are open to everyone. Especially Emirati females. 100%. And males. And males, yeah. I vouch for it. It's good. It's not easy. It's way harder than it looks, but (laughs) it's fun. All right. Well, thank you, Amy. Uh, You can tell us in more detail about your second marathon when you finish it (laughs) next time. (laughs) Bye.